Hi, it's Kyle from Dogpatch with a production note. Due to the COVID-19 crisis, this interview was recorded remotely without access to our normal studio space. So you might notice a difference in sound quality. Christine is an incredible guest with a fascinating story, so we couldn't wait to bring you this conversation. We should be back in the studio soon, and thank you for listening. Enjoy. I have just been really blown away just at the science and the precision behind how we go about prospecting here and how we go about acquisition. I mean, maybe, it, you know, maybe it's that I haven't really done this since the olden days when acquisition was, you know, salespeople being given a phone book or some kind of a generic list. But the sophistication with which we do outbound on Workplace has really been illuminating for me. From Dogpatch Advisors, it's Ground Truth a podcast about company builders, leadership, and how operators use data to build the future of sales. I'm Mercy Bell, and on today's episode of Ground Truth, we talk to Christine Tradella a director at Facebook and head of the Americas for their workplace division. She shares with us how she went from growing up tech agnostic in rural Iowa to become one of the most dynamic sales leaders in Silicon Valley. Imagine a young girl growing up in the 1980s in the middle of Iowa. She spends her summers chasing lightning bugs and sitting in her friend's basement, watching hours upon hours of MTV. Her idea of a big city is Des Moines, and her only connection to technology is the cable box that powers her music video addiction. Now imagine a tech industry sales leader who has spent her entire career on the cutting edge of digital sales. She sells the first generation of online ads during the dot-com boom and later graduates to selling homepage ads for Yahoo, just as search engine advertising was emerging as the new driver of the digital economy. Then she pivots to Facebook, just before the social media giant filed for its IPO. Would you believe that Christine Tradella is both of those people? Now almost two decades into a sales career that has seen her at or near the center of just about every major flashpoint in the tech industry, Christine will be the first to tell you that she had absolutely no designs on the career path that ultimately chose her. I was born and raised in Des Moines, Iowa, and I grew up there in the 70s and 80s. So I remember very clearly when MTV launched and the first music videos and everybody getting around and going to people's houses and just sitting around for hours upon hours and watching the same music videos over and over again, because I think they had about 10 at the time. But it's really interesting. I don't have a great memory, but I will tell you that all of my memories growing up in Iowa are really punctuated by weather. So really extreme seasons there. You've got really extreme winters, very cold, lots of snow for long, long periods of time. And, you know, I just remember begging and waiting for snow days so that we wouldn't have to go to school or getting our inner tubes out and going to the local golf courses and running our inner tubes down the golf hills there. And, you know, in the summer, just the extreme heat and humidity, running our air conditioning units out of our windows and spending time at the pool. And I just remember that was always like the sign that summer had arrived was when you looked out at your porch, because of course we all had porches, screens on our porches, of course, keep all the, the mosquitoes out, but you would see these lightning bugs just start to light up in your yard right after sun went down. And that was the big thing for kids to do is to run out and grab these lightning bugs. It was really great upbringing. I mean, I have to say. 
Christine was the daughter of two very liberal parents in an otherwise conservative state. Her father was a speech professor at Drake University, while her mother decided to go to law school after Christine and her brother were born. Growing up in a family of intellectuals made her curious about the world outside of Iowa, and when it came time to decide where to go to college, a tuition reciprocity program with her father's university led her to the University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. I thought, oh my gosh, how amazing to be able to go to school in California. And I had these visions of palm trees and, you know, me surfing on the beach and all these kind of quintessential things you think of when you think of California. And then I arrived and it felt a lot like Iowa. It's very agricultural. It's right in the middle of the state, right off the 99 interstate that goes right, kind of bisects the state north and south. And went there, but again, small liberal arts school and really big change for a small gal from Iowa. This is probably still before the time when it was obvious to go into tech. How did you end up starting your career and making your way into tech? Yeah. So tech wasn't even a thing when I was in college. The jobs that you got going out of college were in some business and finance and accounting, doctor, lawyer. I mean, those are the things, those were the pursuits. I, from getting my undergraduate degree at University of Pacific, I went to UC Santa Barbara and got a master's degree in economics. And I really didn't know what I was going to do with it again. You know, it's not a, a directly applicable degree to then go out and get a job. But interestingly enough, I did. I, I ended up working at Union Bank of California under the chief economist and did a lot of macroeconomic analysis reports. But I worked under the chief economist doing macroeconomic analyses for Asia Pacific and the U.S., And then I went to a large market research firm named Information Resources, IRI, and they provide consulting services for consumer packaged goods companies. And I was in their statistical analysis group running econometric models on point of sale data to understand the impact of price increases on boxes of tied detergent at the market. And it was great. It was a direct application of what I had studied. But around that time, it was in the early 90s, the internet happened. I mean, this was very much, you know, dial up on your modem internet stuff. I mean, it was very early on. And you could just start to feel it. I was in the Bay Area at the time. And you could just start to feel it was almost like a tingling of or a percolating of excitement around what was going to be this just now as we know it, the huge first dot com boom before the bust. And I made acquaintances with people that were entrepreneurs and starting businesses. And I got a job that was a complete departure from kind of my previous deeply analytical roles. But I got a role in corporate development at a very early startup called Ad Auction. And this is a company that was really way before its time. Had it started after the first bust, it probably would have been hugely successful. But at the time, it raised a ton of money. It was the first real ad banner network aggregating ad impressions and supply across the very first websites on the internet. I mean, things, this is pre Yahoo, pre AOL, pre everything. And, you know, we'd aggregate these into our ad network and then go sell them to advertisers that, you know, largely performance-based advertisers at the time that were starting to experiment and dabble in, in internet advertising. It was still very, very new, but that was my entree into, into tech and into sales. And tell us about that role, like what led to the switch? What was it like switching roles? Because you're going from this economics major, these roles where you're analyzing what's happening in the market, you get this sense that there's something shifting, there's this new thing called the internet, a lot of companies being around it. What was that first corporate development role? What did that look like? And what was it like switching from pure economics and analysis into corporate development? 
it went from having a job that felt like a job and something that you woke up and you went to every day to just being a part of something so big and so exciting. The lines really blurred between work and personal. All the things that you hear about or read about, about what it was like back in the day are true. And I lived it. We'd start out working and everybody was excited to come to work. And it was kind of equal parts a PR mission, equal parts fundraising, equal parts trying to develop a partnership. But I mean, it was incredibly exciting. And it's kind of not surprising that it all came to a screeching halt. But it was really a very exciting time, not only in my career, but in part of our history. Ad auction would be Christine's first foray into the tech industry. But at the time, the company and the industry's own sales tech systems were decidedly rudimentary. It was the late 1990s, before the days of CRMs. Email, telephones, and the good old-fashioned Rolodex ruled the day. Our CRM was our email inbox and our contacts, our personal contacts, our Rolodex, literally a physical plastic Rolodex with paper in it that you would spin around. I still probably have it somewhere in a box, but that was CRM. We managed things through spreadsheets, fax machines. We would fax insertion orders back and forth. This was all, you know, very, very early days of the internet. You could track impressions, you could track clicks. This even predates DoubleClick as an ad server. It was just getting started. And so there were just some kind of very rudimentary technology and tools to even execute online ad campaigns back then. And it's pretty amazing because in the grand scheme of things, this is what, maybe 15, 20 years ago. And look at how we've evolved since then. But it can be done. (laughs) Christine remained with ad auction through the dot-com bust, after which she and many others like her were forced to contemplate what were now uncertain futures in the tech industry. Jobs were difficult to come by, but Christine landed a couple of sales positions with small, long-forgotten Silicon Valley startups before eventually taking a sales manager role with Advertising.com. About three years later, the company was acquired by AOL. And right around that time, Christine made perhaps the most important professional leap of her career. It was 2006, Online search advertising was still in its infancy, and she landed a sales position with the biggest name in the business, Yahoo. Yahoo was at its peak when I joined. It was the place to be if you were in digital media ad sales. And, you know, he really invested a lot in content and making Yahoo really kind of the number one brand for digital advertising. And it was really this pivotal time where you started to see brand advertisers using the internet for their marketing. And that hadn't really happened. It had been really very performance-based, a lot of remnant inventory, you know, people just trying to liquidate their ad impressions through ad exchanges and ad networks before that. But Yahoo was really the first one to get meaningful brand dollars from marketers. And two things that stand out for me in my memory and working at Yahoo at the time, the first was just how coveted the Yahoo homepage was. The Yahoo homepage in that day and age was, that was akin to the Super Bowl, a Super Bowl ad. The reach, I'm not going to remember the numbers now, but just really massive, massive reach. It was the portal to the portal. That's where you kind of accessed all the great content, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Food, Yahoo Music, everything. But as a salesperson there, I remember we would go up, physically, we would walk over to the product manager's desk or cubicle 
that really managed all the inventory, the homepage inventory. And we would literally stand there, all of us. And it was almost like a stock exchange. We would be bargaining for, hey, I've got Anheuser-Busch or I've got Clorox. They're really interested in the homepage. They're willing to pay this. And there was no kind of sophisticated inventory management system for it. It was literally just going up and negotiating with our product manager. But that was the big thing back then. A salesperson could make their number, which was usually pretty aggressive just by selling a couple of Yahoo homepages. And then The other memory I have is this campaign that we did for Coors Light. And this is when homepage takeovers were really big. So you could essentially just buy out a homepage takeover for a certain amount of time, usually for a day or two. And this was a real innovation at the time. We sold Coors Light a takeover on the Yahoo Sports homepage. I'm not going to remember the duration of time. Maybe it was for like a couple of weeks, but essentially... They took it over starting at five o'clock in any time zone, which was essentially happy hour. And what happened was that for like three seconds, the silver bullet train would just come through on the front of the page. And it was just really cool. It lasted for a couple of seconds, but this was the big campaign back then. You take over the homepage, you time target it. And obviously, because it was an alcohol brand, we had to make sure that people were at least 21 and over. And so there was age targeting as well. But that was the level of sophistication. But that was branding back then. That was how they did it. And that was considered real innovation. I'm a little stuck on this idea that it was you were basically pitching to get an ad run on the homepage as a sales team. I have this brand, I have that brand. Was it purely who was paying the most? Or was there a secret to making sure that you're making your number and that your brands are making it? through that process? Yeah, it was really time-based. Some advertisers would lock in dates in advance. And then what would happen is as dates got closer, if they weren't sold, then it created an opportunity for us as salespeople to create urgency with our book of business or the advertisers that we managed and say, hey, look, in the next two weeks, there are X number of days open or even half days open. Are you interested? And we'd kind of galvanize this demand based on what was a shortening window of time. And that's what created kind of this in-person auction system that would happen at the desk of our product manager on the front page. It's funny, actually, the person that used to run this actually works at Facebook now. And she's a longtime Facebooker, even longer than me. And it's funny to work with her again in a different capacity, clearly. How would you contrast that to how selection is done for Facebook ads today? Well, it's completely different. We have a very sophisticated delivery system. It's just the infrastructure and the investment in building it to scale is just completely different. It's completely different. Again, when you think about the time, this is really probably, what, 10 years ago? No more than that. Probably 10, 15 years ago. It's incredible what we've been able to do in that amount of time. You grew up in Iowa, a million miles away from tech. And did you sort of have those moments where you're at Yahoo, like, wow, I'm at the hottest company, there's food, purple slides. Did you have those moments of like, pinch me, I'm working at the hottest company in the world? What was that like? That's exactly right. I was so proud when I got that job at Yahoo. It really was the place to be back then. And really just an amazing company. And all the things that now are kind of you come to expect of some of these large companies was really just such a, I don't know, it was just, it was like all the cool kids worked at Yahoo. And I felt so privileged to be one of them. I'm definitely not cool. So I thought, boy, I've really slipped through here. (laughs) But it was just really, it was the place where all the innovation was happening at the time, especially around like content on the internet, because this was, again, at the time, this was just, they were really ahead of the curve and leading the pack. After spending nearly three years as one of the cool kids, 
Christine became a parent for the first time. After finishing her maternity leave, she says she struggled with going back to work. She spent about six months back on the job at Yahoo when she received an offer to run the West Coast sales team for New York-based WebMD. As a new mother, Christine was enticed by the thought of working from home. I jumped at the chance and it was really great because for the first real three years of my daughter's life, I was able to be present. I could go out at lunchtime and see how she was doing or if I had to take her to her pediatrician appointment, I could do it. I wasn't missing those really key moments in her early life. WebMD was a really interesting company and I think that they had a really unique way of going to market and one that I haven't quite frankly seen in many other places. And again, this was eight and a half, nine years ago. WebMD really prides itself on having really high quality editorial content. And they have this huge team in Atlanta that write content. Every single article that goes up on the site or slideshow or anything has to be reviewed and approved by a medical doctor. The way that they went to market with advertisers was to create custom sites and custom content for them. The editorial team would write content, say it's something around cold and flu season. Maybe it would have a slideshow on good hygiene for people to keep top of mind during cold and flu and maybe a couple of articles. And then it would be highly branded. The way that they sold it was by driving traffic, guaranteeing traffic to these sites. And they had all these drivers within the larger WebMD site to direct the traffic that way. And so ultimately, it wasn't sold on an impression basis or even a click basis. It was sold on unique visits to this highly branded editorial site. And it was pretty compelling. Back in the day when we would do brand impact studies, because all of this is branding, obviously, the results would be really pretty significant. But all through her time at WebMD, she kept hearing about one particular company and its approach to ads. Up until then, that company was best known as a way to find and connect with your friends. But before too long, it would come to represent the biggest turning point in Christine's career. Every single meeting that I would go to with marketers or agencies, Facebook kept coming up. They were just constantly asking us how we compared to Facebook, what we thought of Facebook. We would lose deals because we heard budgets were going to Facebook. And Facebook was, it had evolved out of being a place for college folks to connect. It was a pretty significant platform at that time, even though this is still back in 2010-ish. I just kept thinking, my God, all budgets are going here. And this company is really onto something. I started having conversations with some people that I knew that worked at Facebook, a lot of ex-Yahoo people that I knew. And there was an opportunity to come lead a couple of the teams in their mid-market segment. I interviewed for those roles. And that was back when interviews were 40 people, very lengthy, lots of presentations, and was ultimately offered the role. I'll never forget this. I got the offer. I was on my way to, I think we're going to Hawaii at the time, because I remember driving to the airport. We spent a lot of time on that vacation talking about just what a huge change this was going to be for us personally, because I was going to go from working from home and being very close to my family, being able to prepare dinner, prepare lunch, whatever, be with my daughter, to really committing to a significant commute. I live in the North Bay of San Francisco. I was going to have to do a daily commute down to Menlo Park, which even without traffic is pretty significant. And I finally said, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I can't pass this up. I have to at least try this. And it really is an insurance policy on my career because this is where everything is going. All signs and signals point to this being the next evolution of media and the industry that I work in. I took the job. I've been there eight and a half years now. I have never looked back. I've never once regretted it. I think it's one of the single best decisions that I've made in my life. And I'm really proud to work here. 
Talk to us a little bit about what customer acquisition was like at that time. I guess our assumption would be there was so much inbound and so much demand coming from marketers who are in the very similar situation to the conversations you were having at WebMD that are just coming your way. But what was that like at the time? Was it just not enough people to even cover all of this inbound? Or was it just being thoughtful about which verticals? How did you all think about go-to-market at the time? Acquisition was really centered around education. We had this champagne problem of having a lot of advertisers wanting to talk to us and understand what we did and how we did it, how they could be successful on the platform. And one of the biggest challenges or things that we had to figure out was where to spend our time. Facebook has built one of the most just absolutely phenomenal self-service scalable advertising platforms, businesses out there. It's remarkable. When we on the managed side were working with these large advertisers, it was really more around education. We found that if we could educate them and lead with that as our value proposition, then they'd start to experiment and actually put marketing dollars behind the platform. Was there a moment where you realized, wow, this is going to be a really big business? And I think a lot of people looking from the outside, you could read that. But is there a moment you remember thinking, this is a proof point that I've made the right decision and that this market is just going to be huge. I always really knew that Facebook was going to be successful. I walked in knowing that, but I think there were two things that happened that really, I don't want to say changed the trajectory, but really accelerated our growth. The first was just having ads in somebody's newsfeed on a mobile device. Facebook really paved the way for mobile advertising. Again, when we started to see desktop access plateauing and the just absolute hockey stick of people accessing Facebook on their mobile devices, when we made that pivot and started to put ads in newsfeed, that was just a huge, huge change for our business. The other is more around the strategy, which I think is, this is a lesson that I take with me, quite frankly, wherever I'm going to go. But it was really around changing the dialogue with our advertisers and really focusing on the business value that advertising on Facebook would deliver. We really centered all of our conversations around what is the business value that you are going to get out of running ads on Facebook? How can we deliver results that are measurable on your business that will make a difference on your bottom line? Whether you're a brand advertiser, how can we hold ourselves in this media accountable to driving brand lift results for you? If you are an online e-commerce site, how can we ensure that we're going to be driving positive ROI for you in terms of online sales, even offline sales? When we started to hold ourselves accountable and the media accountable to delivering real business results, that's when we saw just a real kind of seismic shift in the way we did business and the results that it drove for us. And quite frankly, and more importantly, the advertisers that we worked with. In her eight plus years at Facebook, Christine has worn many different hats. She started off leading the consumer packaged good team in North America working with some of the largest CPG manufacturers in the world. Companies like Nestle, Unilever, Johnson & Johnson. Later, she headed up the company's brick-and-mortar team, working with advertisers that included retail giants like Walmart and Target. And in both of those roles, she worked very closely with not only Facebook sales and marketing orgs, but also the creative team, which was tasked with helping these companies bring their brands to life on a mobile screen. After five years at Facebook, Christine started thinking it was time to start exploring opportunities outside. 
side of the online advertising world, one that she had helped pioneer over nearly two decades in the business. But at the same time, she had no interest in leaving Facebook. Her first move within the company was not too much of a leap. She took over the North and Latin America team for the company's third-party ad platform, known as the Facebook Audience Network. Then in 2019, Christine was approached by Facebook VP of Business Partnership, who asked her if she was interested in going even further afield from advertising. I jumped at the opportunity. Having been at Facebook for so long, first of all, I've grown up with the workplace tool. I use it. I love it. I see the value in real time. It was something that I can sell with my heart, not just my head. But also, having spent so much time on the advertising side, we would bring in very senior level executives from really big traditional companies that were spending lots of money with Facebook. And we'd host them for a day and kind of peel back the curtains on what we were doing from an ads perspective and really give them a lot of access to things that we were doing and things that we were building. And there was always this interest in our culture and how we were able to preserve that culture as we scaled and how we were able to kind of have this contagious energy amongst us. And we started to actually bring in a piece in these kind of day-long engagements around culture. And it was always one of the highest rated content segments for the day. I reflected on that and I thought, gosh, Workplace is so key to this. This is the tool and the platform that allows you to really amplify a company's culture. And it can be so meaningful for companies that are looking to do that. And so I thought, there's such a need for this. I just want to be a part of bringing this to market and being its evangelist. Eight months in now, again, I'm, I'm loving it. It's great. So what are some of the biggest differences moving from an ads-based business to more of, in the workplace world, more need to be SaaS? The real difference is between the ads business and the SaaS business at Facebook is just the level of awareness. Facebook's ads business has been around for quite a while, and there's a lot of familiarity with the brand, less so with Workplace. And so this just means that we have to work even harder to get in front of prospective customers and really ensure that the ones that we're going after are at the right point in time and, and good candidates for us. So we're always trying to figure out how can I be relevant to this specific person at this specific company at this moment. And it's really hard since all companies are different, but we're finding that there are a lot of clues that are available even out on the public web. So we can find things like their glass door ratings, maybe it's recent products they've launched as a proxy for what's going on within their company. There's things like the company's mission statement or their values, which are really good proxies for the language that they use or how they talk about their culture internally. For public companies, they're issuing public statements on the company every three months for earnings. And so that's a great place to learn and make sure how do we think about aligning our message with where the company is going. Lots of examples out there, many of which with a little bit of creativity can be done at scale. And that's one of the real differences between the workplace team versus the Facebook ads business. The bar can be higher since we're like a startup, especially when we're trying to get a whole organization to adopt workplace. So it's really different than the ad side where marketing is likely already investing in the ads budget. And so it's more about scaling that overall business as opposed to acquiring new businesses. As it's set out to compete against other business communication platforms, Facebook essentially let Workplace operate as its own startup. So while in some instances, it has been able to enjoy the resources a massive company like Facebook has, for the most part, 
Workplaces remained a lean operation that just so happens to be part of one of the highest valued companies in the world. One of the things that seems like it would be most interesting about Workplace is you're essentially building sort of a B2B startup inside of a global company. What's that been like in both good and bad, trying to figure out how do you make the most of the resources that Facebook has, knowing that you're still a much smaller business than the ads business? One of Facebook's core values is to move fast. And I think, again, the company does move really quickly, kind of on all dimensions. But I will tell you that this is acutely so at Workplace. We are incredibly nimble, just like any startup you would expect. And we're also a really lean team. But what's great is that we have the support of a large company like Facebook in our corner, right? And that's not just for capital and resources. Facebook has a highly recognized brand name. Pretty much everybody has heard of it. So that's something that we can draft off of. Look, the businesses are totally different, the ad side of the business. And essentially, we've had to build all of our own process and operations really from scratch. And again, we can leverage some of the tools and infrastructure, but we've had to really create all these things to be very nuanced to support all the differences that there are in a B2B SaaS business, right? We do draft off all of the great R&D that Facebook does. It's great being able to leverage the DNA of Facebook, having built for the past 16 years of our history, just the focus and our real what I would consider our core competency in connecting people. That's something that we're able to draft off of. And a lot of the really great features and things that we see on Facebook and the consumer apps that we have, those are things that we can then import over into Workplace. Because again, when you're connecting people, a lot of the functionality and the core needs around that transcend whether you're communicating for personal reasons or for work reasons. And one of the things that must be interesting about your role. I know Workplace has been super impactful for a lot of retail companies or companies with frontline employees. How did your experience working with those companies on the ad side sort of set you up to understand some of the requirements or the ways that they might use Workplace once you moved over to the Workplace team? Yeah, I think one of the really smart things that the ad side of our business does is really speak in the language of the end customer, right? So the entire ads business is not only verticalized, consumer packaged goods, retail, tech and telco, but they're even sub-verticalized and even sub-verticalized beyond that because of the nuances within all these industries. And I have just been really blown away just at the science and the precision behind how we go about prospecting here and how we go about acquisition. Maybe it's that I haven't really done this since the olden days when acquisition was, you know, salespeople being given a phone book or some kind of a generic list. But the sophistication with which we do outbound on Workplace has really been illuminating for me. Just the way that we use data to take what is ultimately a very, very large target market, right, or TAM, essentially any business is a prospect for workplace, right? We are such a fundamental communication collaboration tool that applies across a pretty widespread, large group of companies. But again, going back to that idea of the opportunity cost of time spent, how can you really hone in on the prospects or the customers that are really going to benefit from it and really be interested in it? And I think we've done some really interesting outbound campaigns and through the partnership with you at Dogpatch have really learned a lot Really, I think you really helped us understand how to really personalize at scale the messages that we get in front of 
prospective companies around workplace. So for example, being able to insert the photo of an executive or a C-level executive at a company into an email that demonstrates how they would show up on workplace vis-a-vis a live video and or a town hall Q&A. That's hugely impactful. And certainly people can do that by hunting around on the internet and doing that manually. But being able to do that at scale, we've seen really incredible increases in terms of the response rates and interest on that. And there's lots of other really great data sets out there. I mean, there's lots of sources where you can go in and really kind of pinpoint in on the areas and the variables that will make you successful or further qualify an opportunity. So for example, can you hone in on areas that really give you insights into a company's culture using resources like Glassdoor to understand, has there been a shift in the culture at this organization? Has there been a change in management or is this a company that's acquiring another company? And being able to look at that in an aggregated way and then execute on it in a scaled fashion is something that I've just been really surprised by and impressed by. Something neither Christine nor anyone at Workplace could have predicted is the coronavirus crisis. Seemingly overnight, companies were forced to close their offices and essentially enter the biggest work-from-home experiment we've ever seen. More than ever before, products like Workplace have become absolutely essential. So today is April 9th. Obviously, things are changing pretty quickly. Tell us about how the Workplace team, how have things changed now that COVID-19, it's everywhere, we're all adapting to the current state of the world. How is that changing things for the Workplace team? Well, first and foremost, we want to be a resource right now. These are unprecedented times, and most people didn't have time to get adequately prepared for this. So we really want to be a resource to help everyone stay connected and be able to communicate during this time. A couple things that we're doing, we are providing webinars and content, things around remote work, how to have a COVID response. So providing content out there for people to join and learn. We have a multi-company group that's got about 1,500 HR, comms, and IT professionals that are participating in this group, sharing best practices, asking questions amongst each other. We have offered workplace for free for 12 months to emergency services and government entities. But we've really seen this become a critical tool for companies and organizations that are existing workplace customers. The Gujarat education system in India, and they have 100,000 educators that are using Workplace and sharing video tips on hygiene as a way to quickly distribute this really critical information. Scoot Airlines, which is an airline in Singapore, has been using a bot in WorkChat to check in on remote workers as they're in potentially high-risk areas. Really lightweight chat to just offer them a survey to check in and see that how they're feeling, how they're doing. And the response rate has been great. It's been almost 100%. So we're seeing this tool We're seeing workplace being used not only in COVID response, but also just to keep connected and be able to communicate and collaborate in a time where we're just not all physically present at the same place anymore. That's really fantastic. It's been so inspiring seeing all the things that companies are doing just throughout this crisis. And I'm sure it's been really satisfying seeing how integral workplace has been to so many teams. If you play this out five years, What are some of the biggest priorities for the workplace team over the coming years? Well, the workplace mission is to bring the power of community to everybody at work. And we just 
fundamentally believe that it's so important to not connect individuals or teams within an organization, but to connect everybody in an organization. And that's everybody from the knowledge worker to the frontline worker who may not have access to the same tools and tech stack that somebody who sits at a desk all day long has. And so our mission, everything that we do, all the features that we build, everything that we do is going to ladder into that mission of making sure that we're helping companies connect and connect to everybody within their company. I think moving forward, we see the future of work of being one where that principle will apply irrespective of the platform. And so Facebook has invested in technologies around AR, VR. We believe that that will be the next platform by which we are all connecting and communicating. And so with Workplace being the identity layer of that, we see that as a core part in building this ecosystem of technology and tools that connect people today and in the future. Christine, what are some of the other interesting things you may have experimented with at Workplace or other things you're thinking about experimenting with in the future? Yeah, well, I'll give you one example where we're thinking of testing. One of the things that Workplace does really well is help companies translate their internal communication into over 40 languages. And we have all of this really rich data from consumers using our translation services. So we can extend the power of that to enterprises. While more and more people are working from home across continents, we're really hoping to make sure that employees can stay connected, even if they don't necessarily speak the same native language. There's some really interesting ways to use public data to get there. So what if you looked at public data on, say, where regional traffic to their domain is coming from or what languages they're publishing their website in? These can be really good proxies for what languages are spoken internally and how Workplace might help them. So these are just some of the examples of getting creative with data that's already available, but often having this normalization or processing step. One other area I think a lot of SaaS companies are not thinking enough about is the marketing and outbound is key places where there is a lot of raw data used to think about targeting content or messaging. But often sales and customer success are left to be seen as more of an art than science. And really, it should be both across all of the functions. So some of the things that we're thinking about are how do we start to be more creative about the ways we're applying raw data to the sales and customer success motion? So for example, if we're using public data to find out, let's say, when an executive departs or joins a company, or we use an API to learn more about press releases or other product announcements, why shouldn't those same types of insights be applied to your existing pipeline or existing customers so that their next sales call can go even better? The real takeaway is don't just think about creative data usage in inbound or top of funnel. This can be applied across the entire business, and we're working to do more of that in 2020. So Christine, you've said you don't try to look too far ahead. So maybe instead of three, five years, the next few years or as far out as your crystal ball goes, where do you see your career going next? Well, I'm approaching 50 pretty quickly here, and I may be experiencing this seminal birthday in my house with my daughter and husband by ourselves if we're still in shelter in place. And so in some ways, I do think, okay, this is a time to reflect and what do I want to do next? But I also just keep coming back to the, I don't want to think too far out. I want to live in the present. I want to try and help Workplace achieve the goals that we've had for it or that we've set out to achieve and let that guide me. And I'm still in a stage of, again, I'm approaching 50, but 
I feel like I'm a college student almost in terms of how much I'm learning and that keeps me so engaged and so fulfilled and so I'm just not concerned about what's going to come next. I'm just taking in everything that's happening right now. That's Christine Tradella. During the first dot-com boom, she sold what were probably some of the first ads ever to grace the internet. She sold the Super Bowl of online ads when the Yahoo homepage was the most coveted real estate in the digital world. She helped build Facebook into a social media advertising juggernaut. And now she's helping lead the company's push into collaboration technology at a time when more than ever before, companies need to stay connected. She admits she has been what she calls opportunistic in her career. But with each pivot, Christine says she's followed a fairly simple credo. Do work that you love, do it with people you respect, and success, that will take care of itself. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Clearbit. Clearbit is a marketing data engine that helps you deeply understand your customers and build a hyper-efficient growth engine. We've known the team at Clearbit for about four years now and use Clearbit data for all our own projects. Just about all of our customers rely on Clearbit data to cut through the noise and focus their go-to-market teams. We've seen so many examples of Clearbit really helping their customers better understand their sales and marketing funnel. And some of their customers are able to get really creative with their sales plays. For example, we worked with Segment, one of the world's leading customer data platforms. They're using everything from Clearbit Reveal to understand which companies are on their site from anonymous traffic, Clearbit Technographics to understand their technology profile and how good of a fit they would be for Segment, and Clearbit Prospector to identify the ideal contacts at each company. Thank you to Clearbit for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about Clearbit, visit clearbit.com. Thanks for joining us. To learn more, check out groundtruthpod.com for other Ground Truth episodes and a deeper dive into each story. Ground Truth is a production of Dogpatch Advisors, written by Jack Buer from Campfire Labs, sound engineering and studio space provided by TJ Bonaventura and Julian Lewis from Studio Pod, editing and mixing by Jorge Gonzalez from Noda Lab, and video production by Nick Shaheen from Above Treeline Studios.